Welcome to Ripstop on the Record, a podcast where fabric enthusiasts and DIY gurus discuss all things make your own gear, with the occasional poor attempt at comedy to keep it interesting. I'm Kyle Baker, the owner and founder of Ripstop by the Roll, and we're excited to have you listening. Hey everyone, it's Jameson. I know, I'm sorry, you're going to be stuck with me for another episode. However, our guest is someone that you will absolutely love. Dave Parker is a retired Australian military operator. He's an outdoor enthusiast, father, and the founder of Past Outdoors. The story of Past Outdoors is really beautiful and very symbolic. I could tell you now, but I want you to hear it from Dave himself and from Dave's incredible accent. Plus, I learned about an Australian event called Bush Doof, product testing on the snow in the mountains of New Zealand, and a special whiskey that fits this conversation perfectly. This is episode 22, and you're listening to Ripstop on the Record. Hey, Dave. Hey, Jamison. How are you, mate? Nice to meet you. <laughs> I'm excellent. Nice to meet you as well. Thanks for All joining right. us uh, today or this evening. <laughs> uh, anytime. Yeah, it's this evening here. So, um, yeah, I'm here on my own tonight. There's not too many volunteers at 10.45 p.m. and... <laughs> Here in Sydney, we're in another lockdown for Corona, so. <laughs> uh, okay, I yeah, see. So um, I've snuck on up to the workshop just to record this. So. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you for working with the time. I know it's late, but we really, we, uh, really appreciate having you. No, no worries. It's I'm pretty stoked to be here, so it's good. Fantastic. Yeah. So I looked at where I sort of started and where Ripstop started. It's like yeah, after studying startups for so long, it's like hey, here's a startup that helps startups. So. Yeah. That's sort of, you know, I never went into, I went into it to start a business and you guys were the segue to do that. So I thought that's a really good thing to hit. So, yeah. So. Yeah. It's fun. It's probably one of the most fun parts about what we do, I think, is because our growth is so dependent on other people's growth as well. Yeah. Like the, we obviously want to serve DIYers for sure, but ultimately it comes down to us serving small businesses and we have yeah. to have each other. Like you have to get your fabrics and we have to get it to you for us to work. <laughs> It, absolutely and uh yeah i think it's it's a good little thing to hit in the podcast that everybody thinks that you're going to compete with someone but it's not you're yeah. just you're just creating a, a bigger market like yeah myog yeah. was not a thing until you guys really pushed it now yeah you know, i've watched you guys grow since you started so yeah and it only grows from everyone making their own gear and yeah so many little businesses have started or still i know big business have been around 20 years at supply from you guys so it's a it's yeah a great little story so yeah yeah i love it and i'm glad that you mentioned that so dave uh welcome to the episode welcome to rip stuff on the record we're really glad to have you and in case people aren't picking up uh there's a slight uh accent difference you're somebody that we haven't talked to from anybody from your region of the world even tell us where you're from yeah i'm i live in uh sydney australia so uh or just out of sydney but sydney's sort of where you can find me most of the time um yeah and i've i've lived up in sydney for about 20 years now i grew up on the south sort of coast of australia and uh moved up here for work over 20 years ago and haven't left so yeah that's where the strange accent come from <laughs> i love it i haven't yeah. talked to somebody from australia in quite a long time so i'm just kind of smiling because it's fun to it's fun to be chatting yeah. with somebody and i can't wait to see so First things first, what are there, so I would imagine with most uh, languages and just barriers, and obviously we're speaking the same language, but what sort of um, 
what phrases or words, what do you see that are different in, in MYOG in Australia versus America? I think the biggest thing we notice is the, the imperial system versus the metric system. <laughs> but I spend many, you know, every order that I do through Ripstop is converting from, I don't know, I wouldn't even call it a system from yards to inches to yeah. ounces, <laughs> converting that back to the only system, the metric system. That's probably yeah. the biggest one. And you know, I can tell straight away on a forum who's from Australia or who's not by what unit of measure that they use. So <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of converting going on. I've got some really good spreadsheets to do that. So that's the biggest one in, I find in the make your own gear. And just also in the textiles industry, a lot of things is counted in you know, stitches per inch or you know, thread counts are measured in pounds, et cetera, for breakage strains. But um, yeah, converting the two systems, I think is the biggest one that I find. Is there something that we could do now? I don't know what the coding looks like and you know, all the red tape, so to speak, but is there something that Ripstop by the Roll could do to help people that are trying to convert to a metric system? Just convert to the metric system. Just, <laughs> just have an option. <laughs> yeah. um, a, a simple calculator would be great. You know, where I okay. can, you know, I've built a few on Excel spreadsheets where you can just yeah. enter in there and convert it, which is okay. It's quite handy. So, yeah, that's good um, to know. Okay, that's yeah, that's really good to know. <laughs> so, playing off of that, what would you say? Um, so, I think in the last couple of years, just to sort of answer my own question, but to give context, your assessment of MYOG in Australia. So I think in America, the last couple of years, MYOG has shot up. It's not everyone's expectation, but a lot of people have heard about it. Or if they haven't heard about making your own gear specifically, they know about cottage vendors and small makers. How would you say that that rakes uh, in terms of where things are in Australia? Uh, I, I guess population is probably the biggest one. Um, the US it's huge and it's easy to follow. Um, I follow a lot through your own social platforms. In Australia, I think it's growing. Like I, I follow quite a lot of gear forums on Facebook, etc. Uh, and a lot of people are trying to make their own gear. And I think it's probably you guys would have well, I've noticed it from your lead times out of the US with coronavirus, everyone's stuck at home and dreaming of being in the outdoors and if you're stuck at home and you're dreaming of it, people are starting to make their own gear because you know, supply chains around the world have been disrupted. Uh, people are, are much more aware of where gear is made. Uh, so, you know, it has expanded. I've connected with quite a few of the sort of cottage vendors in Australia as I've tried to start up. Um, you know, many of them are your customers. Like, uh, Evan from down at Terrorosa Gear in Melbourne. Like, you know, he's been a great source just to bounce questions off and, you know, forming this little web of little cottage vendors who are either growing or helping out other people make their own gear has been, you know, it's been good. And I think it's growing in Australia and I'm not, I fully encourage it because we spoke about uh, before rolling, it's just creating a bigger market and yeah. a bigger community of people in the outdoors. And, you know, that's what I aim to create in my business. So. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. I think, we touched on it earlier, but I think this will be this part will be in the official podcast that uh, a lot of people see things as competition, like you said. And for us, it we have to grow mutually with the makers. So we want people to make their own gear, but people making their own gear doesn't necessarily take away from the cottage vendors. No, uh, it doesn't. Because I'll be more than happy to make 
uh, a backpack, but I'm never going to make a shelter <laughs> and then I'll come to you, you know, and vice versa. And everyone's going to have their forte of things where I'm comfortable using this in the backcountry, and I'm not comfortable making this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and a lot of people will get into making your own gear and find out it's really hard. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's quite difficult to make it. It's, <laughs> it's not cheaper. You're not saving money, but, you know, I've got so much material that I haven't used just through <laughs> making my own gear. Um, so many failed projects. And, uh, you know, eventually it might lead people into seeking out a cottage vendor and appreciating the quality in some yeah. of these small cottage industries that are getting out there. Like, the quality is just phenomenal, but you do have to pay for it. So yeah. by making your own gear, you appreciate what the business is doing. And I think everyone supports each other. So. Absolutely. Oh, I couldn't agree more. So you make your own gear, but also you sell your own gear. What is, uh, what is Past Outdoors? I know it's your so, company, but what do you all do? Yeah, so you all, well, it's pretty much just me at the moment. <laughs> so yeah, I've got a few people that we bring in here and there, but um, Past, uh, uh, it's an acronym, Parker and Sons Trading, uh, my last name. And you know, I've come from a long line of entrepreneurs and I want to pass that on to my own uh, sons. Uh, I did 20 years in the military. Uh, I got out of the military. I went to university and just in the process, I realized I wanted to be my own boss. Uh, so you, at university, you do a lot of soul searching sort of exercises and work out what you want to do. And I realized I'm creative. Uh, I've got a passion for the outdoors and I wanted to be my own boss. So how could I do that? I created my own equipment. Um, to get me outdoors and uh you know in doing that and playing on the the word past is i believe you know, getting people to get into the outdoors and experience it connects you with your past as humans and uh you know by building that connection with the outdoors people are going to be more interested in protecting it because we all see the loss of sort of wilderness and habitat and most people don't know it's there until they actually go there and i sort of wanted to create products that make it comfortable to go in the outdoors because being in the army sucks in the outdoors so <laughs> you know i know what it's like not to be comfortable but in speaking to people a lot of people won't go because it is uncomfortable so if i can make it a better experience for people you get a more diverse sort of range of people in the outdoors which will champion their cause to protect it so. there's so much to touch on there um yeah. <laughs> I, I love so much about that. this a lot <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a beautiful name, honestly. I, I obviously I do my research for the episodes and to, to know our guests. And um, I've read your about us on on your website, and I've seen your Instagram. And I think you do a great job of conveying the uh, maybe the lineage of your of your own experience, but also the outdoors for so many people. You know, often people learn about how they want to explore the outdoors or they get that inspiration from times of their parents or grandparents or something like that. And so for you to share that with your children, um, but then also to do that in a very tangible way, like a business, I think is really unique. So for past outdoors, one thing, maybe if you don't mind us calling maybe your flagship item is yeah. your, your, your teepee. You've got it behind you, which people can't see yet, but we'll link it in the show notes so everyone can go look at it. Tell us about this. How did you make this? Why did you go with a teepee, not a tent? You know, it's a, maybe say, it's a pretty aggressive shelter to reach out to as your first time shelter. <laughs> it, it is. Um, well, I went for it because I experienced a 
how good a hot tent is when I was off in New Zealand a couple of years ago and uh, you know, a friend of mine's got his own company. He makes canvas wall tents, NYA gear. They are phenomenal, um, but they're big. They're, they're heavy and for New Zealand, you need that. And I decided I never want to spend five days out on the snow again without the heater. Um, <laughs> so I started doing my research uh, and I just discovered how lightweight, uh, simpler TP is, how good it is in the wind. And it's just, there's something about the geometry of it that appeals to myself and to people. Uh, also the shape of the TP, just when, when you sit in it and you sit looking at the fire, it sort of focuses everyone around the fire and it does what I wanted to do as a product that connects people. Like you have to sit in a circle, you have to look in, you all have to work together to keep that fire going, to cook, to clean, and just the experience of being in one. Um, it makes the whole experience of not just sleeping outside a bad experience. It turns into a good good experience where you can connect with people. And uh, so I just chose a teepee. And I'm six foot one. You can stand up in it, get out of your wet clothes, hang it up to dry and be comfortable in the outdoors, which, as I said, in the military, you spend a lot of time uncomfortable in the outdoors. So I never wanted to do that again. And with the, the single pole design, the materials that we've used, we've been able to compact it. You know, a TP that can sleep up to six people, you know, you have to scale that down as you add a stove and a liner, et cetera, but you can sleep up to six people in a package that's coming in at around about 5.2 kilograms. So times 2.2 to get that into pounds. So, yeah. <laughs> that's a <laughs> <Yeah>. calculator. <laughs> yeah, about 12 pound yeah. uh, for the whole package, which you can break up. So it's lightweight. You can... You can backpack it, you can fly it, you can bike pack it, or you can just throw it yeah. in the car. So um, that's why we went with that. Uh, no one does them in Australia. And I thought, you know, if you're going to launch a product, you should do something differently. So, yeah, so we've hit it pretty aggressively, as you said, uh, with a TP and had rave reviews. We've toured it around Australia. We've had it out on the you know, field tested probably for about 60 nights in the last 12 months. So, in various conditions and you know we get people knocking on it in the morning wondering what is happening in there it's glowing red or um <laughs> they're in wet cold ski gear yeah wanting to know why why are we not cold so yeah so it's, it's quite a new concept in australia of lighting a fire inside a tent but yeah it's done what i wanted to do it's had an impact i've noticed and we've talked to a lot of people from We've had a bushcraft episode. We've talked to a lot of ultralight people. One of my good friends and coworkers, Carter's an ultralight nerd to the max. Yeah, you know it's all about like his base weights, like eight point one pounds or something like that. Like it's ridiculously light. Um, and I noticed that there's often a different perspective shift in how people go outdoors. And there's often similarities. But I with your with your teepee and with your hot tent specifically, it seems like a it's an inviting opportunity for people to be comfortable while experiencing the outdoors where so much of ultralight backpacking as absolutely incredible as it is you're probably looking to to bridge that fine line between discomfort and lasting for a couple days but it's not necessarily sustainable and a lot of people be afraid to do it where your teepee looks very enjoyable to be in for several days (laughs) yeah absolutely and I think what you notice, like, I can imagine Carter spends a lot of time on his own out ultralight yeah. backpacking. <laughs> yeah. Whereas 
you know, I don't want to do that. I want to take people out. Yeah. To eat. I'll go out on my own. I'll sleep in a bivy bag underneath, you know, a hoochie or a tarp anytime. Yeah. But I'm going to do it on my own. I don't want that. I want to take people out to experience yeah. uh, what I experience when I'm in the outdoors. So if I can make it comfortable, it's good. And yeah. it's a balance. Like we just we just returned from a trip to New Zealand. Uh, lucky we can travel there. But um, you now we hiked this up into you know, like sixteen hundred meters elevation in the snow line between three of us, and we slept up there for a couple of days. Pretty warm, pretty comfortable. Yeah, we rode out a pretty hefty storm, but we could have done that in an ultralight manner with mm -hmm. small one-man tents, but we would have been sleeping from 5 p.m. at night until 7 p.m. the next day on our own, but yeah. we weren't. We all sat around the fire, we worked together, we cooked, we mm -hmm. you know, we drank whiskey, we did all the things that we wanted to do but on top of yeah. the mountain. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, sounds pretty good. It's, it's, everything's <laughs> balanced. It's a trade-off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Tell us about the construction of the teepee. How many, again, I don't want you to give away any secrets, but the, the construction, what sort of fabrics do you use? I would imagine it's a very different perspective than making a tarp, you know, kind of everybody's entry level shelter. Is, it, yep. is there a floor? There's a bug net attached. There's, there can be a pole. Break it down for us. Yeah. So, um, well, the first thing I did was make a tarp. I grabbed one of your DIY kits. I made a tarp. I cut a stove jack into it and I put a wood fire in it and you know, mm. just to experiment with different materials. I made the first version in, in lockdown last year. Um, I bought the material probably the year before that, but I was busy with university. So uh, in lockdown last year, we made version one. So it was all, I'm actually a furniture maker by trade. So I used to make furniture. Okay. So I'm quite accustomed to drawing like technical drawings yeah. and, you know, I claim to be pretty good with my hands with most things. So I just drew it on a drafting board, made full-size patterns and just got to work in the lounge room and made version one. Um, I pitched it, I took it out. We just went camping in it. And a lot of the design process has just been that user experience rather than, that's mm -hmm. what I enjoy, rather than you know, an industrial designer making it, someone else producing it, and then it gets out there and it's not practical. So, yeah. you know, we... We pitch it, we sleep with a Sharpie, we draw on it, we cut things. I think our first road trip, I took a sewing machine in my car and we made <laughs> modifications on the run. But, you know, I've enjoyed the design process and by taking different people out and having that full user experience to do the design. Um, we're on, I think I'm sitting in about version four right now. Um, we normally make a new version after the old version's been cut and sewn too many times and uh, we're pretty happy with it. So we've come up with a, I, I believe quite a good product. Um, the experience of putting it up and assembling it, we've made it quite easy. My sort of technical guy that I bought in to help with the sewing, uh, Tim, he was a, he was one of our parachute riggers in special operations. So his expertise is sewing and making military grade parachutes. Um, and he, you know, a lot of experimental sort of work that they do there as well. So he come in and just selected every single bit of thread, stitch, needle, tension, and uh, put that into it. And then we used our sort of principle of in the military and especially in the job that we did, everything had to be perfect and it had to be rehearsed. So, you know, and a parachute has to deploy a certain way. So <laughs> it has to work out how we, how we put, you know, the TP together. So it's not, it's not a 20 minute instruction video and a black art to put it together. It just clips in and just pitches. So 
it's quite simple. Um, my my eight year old boy can put it up for me now. He's pretty he's one of my reluctant product testers, but it's it's pretty easy to put up. And yeah, so we're pretty happy with how we did the design process. Yeah, we could have got an industrial designer and sent the plans off to somewhere and gone through the whole samples and a lot of wastage there and yeah and it sort of goes away with what we wanted to do with the company and with the brand is just put our past experience and our knowledge into a product right and the only way to do that is to just get out there experience it make it remake mm -hmm. it you know we took that you know rapid prototype fast failure and just go again on it so and we're pretty happy where we got to we've had some good failures don't worry so yeah it's it's, been some, it's it's beautiful first of all it yes. looks fantastic i've seen some of your pictures it it does pitch really wonderfully well at least yes. from someone that's never actually put my hands on it but only seen it it looks brilliant what sort of materials do you use to make the teepee because i would imagine it probably has to be a lot more um substantial than an ultralight shelter in a lot of ways yeah so um the first ones we sort of made with the i'll uh, we just used 1.1 ounce silk nylon, but it just wasn't just the different tensions and the stretches yeah. and it just wasn't working. Um, and when it did rip, it went. So that's what I, I ended up just committed. I just bought a roll of MTN, uh, the 1.1 ounce MTN. Yeah. Um, I did my homework into, into that fabric, traced down who's using you know that fabric. And yeah, when I got my hands on it and Tim, uh, he said it, whatever we need has to have 669 nylon on it. That's what we use on the free fall parachutes. Um, and I'll, well, you know, I trust them. I trust Tim. Yeah. So I trust 669 on the MTN. So we grabbed a roll of that and all of our samples and all the product that we have field tested have been made out of that. And this performed brilliantly. Yeah, we can't fault it. Uh, we're using mil-spec webbing on all the tie-outs. Um, and I sort of, I work with another company uh, called Sword Australia, another customer of yours as well. So they've made, uh, Luke's a good friend of mine, they've made military kit for well over 15 years in Australia. And I use that kit. So the trust in that mil spec process and the equipment that they use, uh, we've rolled into the TP as well. So you know, all of our webbing, all of our side release buckles are all, you know, they tick the box for mil spec because it's what, you know, it's what I've used in the military. So... Yeah. Um, we're using Hyper D PU for 4,000 PU for the floor. Okay. Yeah. Um, just moving away. Like I know it, there's probably some ultralight people just going, <gasps> but, like, <laughs> <laughs> you can have an ultralight tent and a floor, but then you've got to put a ground sheet down. So it's like, yeah, you know, do you really want to have something ultralight and carry the heavy stuff anyway? So we just went straight for the PU floor. Yeah. Um, we played around with the mesh quite a lot. That was probably our biggest challenge. Um, after using the, the 0.5 ounce Nosium, it's like you know, a lot of that got chewed up in the sewing machines. Um, yeah. We set it on the 0.67 uh, for the mesh inners, um, which works great. It just, Australian conditions are quite funny. Like the snow in the US or at that high altitude is that nice, dry, crispy snow. The snow in Australia, it's great snow. For about half an hour and then it's just slush <laughs> so <laughs> you don't you don't stay dry in the snow in australia you stay very wet so having that mesh just allows the 
the condensation it just goes push up through the mesh and just okay. drift straight down the inside so um yeah we're pretty happy with all the materials i think other things just like hyper d for the reinforcement uh the 300 reinforcement on the tie outs uh dyneema for the top cone and anywhere where we need okay. that real uh strong protection so um yeah and obviously the stove jack but yeah all you know almost all the materials coming out of you guys so yeah yeah and uh so playing off of the stove jack for anybody that doesn't know stove jack is pretty much fireproof material you can't burn it or i've tried to light it on fire and it doesn't really work so yeah. anybody that hasn't picked up on it yet or the terms yet why do you have stove jack in your tent um for the wood fire so we've got a titanium fold up wood stove that uh we've we've had made and we just place it in the middle place the chimney up through the stove jack and uh yeah, we're away and on average, we're adding about 12 to 15 degrees Celsius <laughs> to the ambient temperature. So um, with the wood fire. So I think we had it in New Zealand last week. It was minus seven outside with, a wow. bit of the, with the wind. And uh, we had it at a comfortable, probably about eight or nine degrees inside. Um, with a lot of wind so yeah uh, you know that doesn't sound like a lot but it is when it's <laughs> you know it's a difference between yeah. wearing a puff jacket and not wearing one so yeah that's that's huge so i i learned about hot tents probably about a, a year ago from one of my friends the big hunter you know they're yeah. much bigger in the hunting community often than they are in the the camping but for anyone that's unknowing of a hot tent structure right now i just want to make sure they're clear so the way that Dave's teepee works is that it's a teepee. So imagine a, a tall shelter. The stove jack is sewn into the top up near the, the cone of the tent. And then there's a titanium stove powered by wood that then heats up the tent. But there's an exhaust and that runs up through the top. And that's why he needs a stove jack in the top because it lets the um, the heat, well, partially the heat, but also the mainly the, um, the emittance to escape so you don't suffocate yourself inside your own tent yeah. <laughs> absolutely yeah and uh we've tested all of that uh tim our rigger he's out of the army now and he's now a firefighter so we bought in all the carbon oxide alarms and we've we've tested it and you know sadly we're probably going to have to burn one of these things down to the ground just to demonstrate to people that <laughs> so yeah you know that might be the version one i think we do that too <laughs> yeah but you know, we've tested that and that was one, a lot of people's fear is like, oh, how do you not suffocate yourself? And it's like, well, yeah, it just it vents out. Like, yeah. And yeah. the sort of the volume that you get in the TP is not enough in it to actually harm you. But we always yeah. say, if, if you're going to sleep, you put the fire out or we have someone awake the whole time. So, yeah. But they're quite safe. And you now you mentioned that your buddy in the hunting community, like that's what eventually, well, started me on the idea of that they're, they're very popular in the hunting community but mm -hmm. you know we just found it it's been brilliant for just that car camping as well yeah. you know so or you know i go camping with my kids uh my partner ali she won't unless it's 28 degrees she doesn't want to go camping so you know, <laughs> i'm up all night feeding wood into this thing just to keep her out there but you know we get out all the time so you know we've extended yeah. our, our camping season by having that hot tent and yeah. we go to places where we wouldn't have gone before. Yeah. And you beat the crowds going off peak as well. 
Seriously. No, yeah. I would, I would love to see hot tents become more of an, or, uh, there would be kind of more normal, I guess, in the car camping community. Cause so many people do, um, it gives you that access. I think it, it touches that line where again, it's, it's always a trade-off and different people want different things, which is marvelous. If they want to get to the outdoors, do it no matter what, but that I feel like the hot tent does give you the opportunity to get into the backcountry or just maybe off trail more yeah. while also still being comfortable. Cause normally com- uh, comfortability lands with being near the road. Right. And you can't get, you can't get out and be comfortable. I mean, so I mean, at 12 pounds, if you're going to be gone for a night or two, you can do that. And you're going to be comfortable with whoever you're with. And at six people, your TB fits the majority of most camping groups. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. Well, I'm, I'm convinced on it. And I'm, I'm never going to say otherwise, but, yes. <laughs> yeah. but you know, the more people I take out, the more, you know, I give this out to people all the time to test out. We've had families go on canoe holidays. We've had groups take it to a, no, I'm not too sure if it's a thing in the US, but a bush tour for they go head into the middle of nowhere and have a, okay. like a dance party. And, you know, <laughs> so it's, we've had so many people test it out. My, a good friend just took his family camping for the first time and they're, they're convinced. So what initially I set out to do for that long range, sustained sort of hunting trip is just led into, you know, yeah. I've started off on a market this big and it's just grown into, no, but not making them car key or olive drab. <laughs> no, it's just people are like, wow, it's grey or it's white. And you now they're taking their families out in it. And you know, that's great. That's what I want. I want I want people to go out. So you uh, you said a you said a term there that I want to recall. You said people go out into the wilderness and then have a dance party. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, what what is that called? <laughs> A, a bush doof, you know, doof music in the bush. That might have been an Australian <laughs> term. I've just, I've just educated you guys with. Yeah. I have never heard of that. I got to ask some people. That sounds amazing and hilarious, I think. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's not my thing, but, you know, one yeah. of my mates said, hey, man, can I take one of your TPs out? We're doing this. I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's always new markets. Who knew? Yeah, absolutely, you know. Yeah, that's hilarious. Okay, well, I'm gonna look up that one. So thank you for telling me about that. Yeah. But back to back to past outdoors. I want to know a little bit more about your stove. You make your own stove, is that right? No, we've we've had the stoves made. Um, okay, Australia's a funny climate for manufacturing. We've you know, like you've seen in the US and a lot of developed nations, manufacturing's moving and. You know, we've got some of the best minerals in the world, but we export it and you can't buy it back for the price you can buy the product. So we've ended up going through the process of getting the stoves made, uh, which has been long, <laughs> very long, but um, we've got there. So, you know, we've had quite a big influence in the design of it. We've customised a lot of stuff on it just to get the product that we want. Um, it's been a you know, probably about a six, seven month process, but... Uh, we got there in the end. Um, yeah. So it's a, so that, that stove is your, is your design, right? Uh, it was an off the shelf design that we modified just to suit our needs. So it had a lot okay. of excessive things. We didn't want to have glass yeah. doors and all sorts. And we just stripped it back down and uh, made it what we wanted to the specs that we wanted just to get, yeah, to fit in with our weight goal and our size goal. And also sure. just, yeah, the, the, usability of the stove so mm-hmm. that makes yeah. sense 
What sort of weight does a stove cost you in the grand scheme of things? Well, we've got ours down into, it comes into, in the one stove, you can run two different options. Um, there's a solid wall option. Uh, that's coming in at about 1.5 kilograms. Okay. So, and, or you can drop another, what was it? 400 grams off it if you run what we call sort of the u-turn which is just a re, you replace the solid walls with um with the same material as the chimney so which is just a foil so it's a lot of skin wall on it but um you can save 400 grams if you're really counting but you know if you i see it's yeah not a lot of weight in the grand scheme of things if you're carrying it between a few people but you know but people other people are offering stoves that can do that. So we just wanted to make sure that as an extra, we yeah. just wanted to package it all in one. So you've got it to start with. So, you know, it's okay. one of the things we've tried to do is we want this to work out of the box. So you don't have to. Sure. You know, you know my goal was to, you can pick one of these up on the way out of town and set it up that night with a YouTube video rather than having to set it up yeah. and practice yeah. using it. So. And that, that um, let's see, one point, 1.6 pounds so that three pounds or so 3.2 pounds in, in our system right give or take yeah yeah that would that. be that's your heating but then also do you so this is where my my lack of knowledge comes in do you cook in that stove as well or with that we yeah we've really experimented that we we cook on top so we, with pots okay. just using the yeah. top and uh i think just last week, and we did on a previous testing trip, we've used river stones and built up a rocks around it and turned it into quite an effective pizza oven. So uh, that <laughs> takes awesome. that experience from <laughs> eating, you know, dehydrated food to now when we're making pizzas out in the mountains. So, you know, a bit of pocket bread, some tomato sauce and whatever other toppings. And yeah, converting your, your now hiking tent into a pizza shop has been pretty pretty good so first of all you're a genius um that <laughs> sounds fantastic um but yeah i mean that makes i love things that are dual purpose i mean everybody does yeah. especially in the outdoors you want to be able to carry one thing that does multiple but to be comfortable and then that's also your cook system it balances out that weight for anyone that's uneasy i think which is really it, it, cool it does and and also with weight like you forget about the weight but you don't forget the experience like my yeah. mate Ollie, when we first we're sitting up on top of a mountain cooking pizzas and it's freezing outside, and he's like, "I'm never not cooking pizzas in the backcountry again." So, yeah, <laughs> you know, we, you know, just simple pocket bread, and you know, it creates just a different experience in the outdoors. Like, I spent many a nights just there eating cold food in your tent on your own, talking to your friend in the next tent who's doing <laughs> the same. So, having, you know having a memorable experience is what we wanted to create. And so if I can show people how to make pizzas or what did we make last week? We had um, uh, mulled wine. Do you have mulled wine in the US? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But we made mulled apple juice with spice rum. So it was like a, you know, I give full credit to the people that talk in the cocktail, but a, a hot apple pie cocktail just out in the mountains, <laughs> you know, with pizzas yeah. cooking underneath. So it's an experience that we wanted to create by having the whole package. So. Yeah, I, I love that so much. Uh, so many wonderful things come from and uh, I guess it's like an altruistic perspective, I suppose you could say. Um, and 
I think that specifically companies like yours, what I'm learning, Dave, um, when you want to see the greater good succeed and you're able to produce something that can help that, so many good things often come of that. Obviously, there's always, you know, ancillary things, whatever, but I love how your goal and it shows very clearly through what you, what you say. They just want to give people a good experience outside. Yeah, absolutely. If <laughs> you yeah. want to pack whatever and they end up bringing a lot of weights because they want to have, you know, this beer with them or they want to have, you know, this is like their special snack with them or whatever it is. And you're providing that for them. And that's, that's so cool. And I yeah. um, thank you for telling us all about them. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> So where can people find you, Dave? Uh, obviously, uh, our website, pastoutdoors.com, uh, Instagram and Facebook, just at Past Outdoors. Um, I imagine we'll drop some links in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, but you can find us there or we've got a physical store slash R&D facility uh, just out of Sydney, uh, which awesome. we, we get a lot of people calling into. We've got We've got an, an ever-expanding sort of retail range because once again, I found everyone's just, hey, where did you get that? Where did you get that? So <laughs> I took the IKEA approach and just everything inside the TP you can buy. So, <laughs> um, so we bought on a bit of a, a retail line there, so um, which is great. That's kept us alive while we've been, you know, establishing our supply chains, etc. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. But you can find us there and. You know, hey, when you when you message past outdoors, you're messaging me. So I always say we, but hey, it's just me and you know the other sort of people that we bring in along the way. I've got my my web designers. I've got my my partner who's yeah. you know sick of hearing yeah. about ripstop <laughs> <laughs> um, material. She always jokes about you know <laughs> you know me dreaming about it, but um you know and all the other sort of experts that we bring in, but. You know, but if you if you contact the company, you're talking to me, and I love talking to people about what we do, and you know we're quite passionate and people's experience and sharing tips on how to make your own gear because two years ago I I never even heard of Ripstop by the roll, but yeah, you know, and like you know <laughs> I, I talk with Lance weekly on yeah know, materials etc. So someone who's listening to this who hasn't made anything, you know, they might be buying a, a zip pouch kit from you guys. They could be made in two years, and I love talking to those people. Yeah, I love that. Same as competitors, we're all creating a bigger industry and a bigger market. So, yeah, and that's one of my goals. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Good. Now, for everybody listening, Dave and I are recording this uh, pretty different times, but Dave was kind enough to recall that on a lot of our episodes, we like to have beer. But it's 9:24 a.m. right now for me, so I am about <laughs> to start my work day. I'm not going to have a beer, but Dave was kind enough to have one for me. So Dave, what do you, what's, what's your go-to drink down where you are? Down where I am, there's a, there's a great little brewery just down the road that I like to go to and get beer. They'll fill up your Yeti growler for you and everything. So, um, but unfortunately due to the lockdown, uh, they're closed mm-hmm. at the moment. So resin, resin brewery, they're great. But um, because it's late here, I can probably select a whiskey. And I thought it was quite fitting that uh, the whiskey I selected is an Australian whiskey. Um, it's one of the only distilleries in the state that it's from. And it was founded by, uh, you know, I have to link everything back into my brand and past. So it was founded by two, a US pilot and an Australian pilot in World War II. So wow. they come together and they started making whiskey during the war. And they went in separate ways. One made whiskey in the US, one made moonshine in Australia. But uh, recently, uh, 
you know, people have rediscovered their, their recipes and they bought it together and formed a whiskey company. So I thought a good US company helping out an Australian company, we'd have a, um, a whiskey. So Whippersnapper Distillery, um, they're an Australian whiskey uh, born out of an Australian and a US sort of relationship. So I thought it'd be quite fitting to have tonight. So yeah, we took this over to New Zealand. That's why the bottle's a little bit empty, but um, <laughs> that's what I'm going to have tonight. <laughs> but um, yeah, but normally I would be you know, drinking a nice little IPA and what have you, but it's, it's about nine degrees inside my workshop right now, <laughs> so, which in Fahrenheit, I don't know what that is, but probably a little bit too cold for a beer right now so yeah yeah that's a well that whiskey sounds absolutely fantastic and i and i love the uh, the symbolism there between an australian company and american company so thanks for filling us in there and you said it's called whippersnapper and is that called the upshot is that what i saw yeah it's the upshot yeah so yeah it's um it's quite nice it's it's made in west australia so if you don't know the geography of australia west australia is it's exactly what it is. There's nothing in between the East Coast and the West Coast in Australia. So um, they're quite isolated over there. But yeah, they've, you know, that isolation is driven and produced some pretty nice uh, whiskies and wines over there. So um, that's what I've chose to drink. And one of the other great things I love about this company, they've got a, a veterans education program. So um, they got a program where they divert a lot of their funding to uh, veterans education so for people getting out of the military which I was lucky to be a benefit of uh, I received a scholarship to do a master's of business admin um, so an MBA at probably Australia's best it is Australia's best business school so and so companies helping out companies so yeah and they help out the organization that supports scholarships so I help them out by yeah drinking their whiskey <laughs> <laughs> that's that's it's fantastic a win-win. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Too easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fascinating. Wow. Well, Dave, this conversation has been amazing. Thank you so much yeah. for sharing some time with us about your about your hot sense, the teepee, about past outdoors. Um, what else do you want people to know? Ripstop on the record listeners to know about past outdoors, hot tents, Australia. What else do you want them to know? Cool. I- I guess anyone listening to this podcast has got an interest in making your own gear and just don't be afraid, just get into it and just, you know, chew something up in the sale machine. I want people to go out there and just, just learn the lessons, fail fast. Don't be afraid of failure. And to do that, reach out to people like everyone I've reached out to and asked for advice has given me advice. So don't be afraid to do that. Um, You know, even the resources that you guys have got, other companies, other businesses. Don't be afraid to just get out there and and try making your own gear. Uh, I'm happy to share any of my tips and advice with anyone. You know, what not to do is probably the biggest one. (laughs) Oh, we all have those process. So um, yeah, yeah, take, take the risk. That's that's what I want people to do. So yeah, I love that. I think so much of the, the DIY world too is, uh, uncommercialized in some ways. I know it sounds funny coming from probably one of the bigger companies rips up other role in the DIY world, but even us, our owners heavily involved. I mean, everyone, um, Carter and I, Isaac, people that work here, we get together on the weekend. We sew together, you know, it's still, uh, it's a grassroots 
effort in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. So I love that you brought that up because that's so true. You could reach out to pretty much any cottage vendor and you're getting right to the source of who's yeah. making and their passion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that the whole community has been formed on, you know, like at, at uni, we study a lot of startups. So you look to startups yeah. to see, you know, what has made them a good business and everyone in the university was focused on that unicorn tech startup. So manufacturing is like, whoa, don't go there. So, but, you know, looking at you guys and like a startup company just founded by a problem that needed to be solved, like DIY gear was not available, you know, so just doing that. And I think that community that's grown from that is just, everyone is just willing to help each other because we were all a startup once, whether you're, you're just going to make one pouch and put the sewing machine away or you want to, like me, I'd, my goal is to create a company. So, yeah, but we all have to start somewhere. So I think the community yeah. around Mate Earring Gear is, is really good and it's really open to sharing information, not just hiding it or yeah, not <laughs> saying what their special proprietary material is because everyone can get special proprietary material if you pay for it. So, you know, yeah, very special. Though. So, you know, but, <laughs> you know, having that sort of, you guys have done the hard work for a lot of people. You've researched the fabric. Yeah. You've probably got, you know, you've had those failures that we all need to have in business. So um, you've done the hard work for me. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, Dave, again, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for staying up a little bit late. And thanks for taking the hard one and drinking a little bit of whiskey for us. Yeah, no problems. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, if you ever find yourself up here, Dave, please come check us out. We're building a new facility where we'll have a maker space and there'll be a showroom and everything like that. So if you, you know, find yourself some, you know, 4,000 miles away, let us know. Yeah, um, I've been, I've been following the process of that build pretty, <laughs> pretty closely. So I'm excited yeah. to see that. And, you know, the U S is on number one of my places to go to when we can. So yeah, I need to get over there and I need to see what yeah. you guys are doing and everyone else is doing and just, get out of Australia for a bit. I miss travel. So. Oh, I bet. Well, I reckon good thing you're not coming right now. Cause it's probably, uh, well, yesterday in my car on the thermostat, it read 106 Fahrenheit. So I'm going to say like 40. Yeah. It'd be or so <laughs> it's yeah, it's not a good time of year to be here, but no. our fall springs, winters, all very mild, all very good. So yeah, uh, hopefully yeah. we choose a I good time, but I was working in uh, Georgia a few years ago in the oh, summer. Yeah. And it was it was horrible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> horrible yeah, is the so, word for sure. Yeah, I've experienced the the US summers and yeah, <laughs> we get a similar climate here, but yeah, Georgia yeah. was something else. That was horrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Well, Dave, thank you so much. Have a great night, and uh, yeah, you'll talk to Lance soon, and hopefully, we can talk to you again eventually as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for the time, and thanks for reaching out. I really enjoyed the process again. So. Fantastic. Have a great night, Dave. Okay. Thanks, mate.